with the embodiment piece, you also get, um, I think you get this different layer of what is it that you're really deeply longing for? Mm -hmm. Not just in your head, but like if you follow this gut, what are you longing for? What's it going to orient you to? Like a sunflower orients to the sun, mm -hmm. right? And then from that place, what, what emerges? What do you want to create? Because the world probably needs it. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Beth Barilla to discuss her new book, Integrating Mindfulness into Anti-Oppression Pedagogy. The first version of this right here, this is the first version, came out in 2015, and I read it on an airplane, and I still remember the flight and where I was sitting as I read through that. It's one of my favorites. I come back to it often and recommend it often. Uh, today, we're discussing her fully revised version that is now available for you to purchase. We'll talk about the new ways she is thinking about this, how to put it into practice, and some cautions along the way. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse the archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner. Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, author, and coach, helping leaders and organizations make transformations for leadership, learning, and equity. You can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I am broadcasting my from my home on my side of Minneapolis at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. You'll find out how that's relevant here in a moment. Uh, Beth, welcome to you. Thank you for being here. I am so excited to be in this conversation with you. For folks who don't know you, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you, Keith, so much for inviting me on this podcast and for being a longstanding colleague. I really value your work and love. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, I am situated in South Minneapolis. <laughs> you are in Northeast, so we are in the same city. Kind of weird that we're you know, still on screen, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Zoom's better for recording. Um, and uh, thank you for the kind words of my book, about my book. I really appreciate that, um, particularly since I value your work so much. And this, I think, will be a rich conversation since we have a lot of common interests in, mm -hmm. and approaches in our work. Um, about me, I am a gender and women's studies professor, director of the gender and women's studies program, and professor in the ethnic gender and women's studies department at St. Cloud State University. Been there for over 20 years now, where a lot of this work was birthed. Um, I'm also an equity coach uh, and consultant doing transformational leadership work. Um, I facilitate workshops and um, other programs that sit at the nexus of social justice work, um, embodiment, um, earth-centered nature approaches, and just uh, um, doing our best to work towards a more liberated world in community with one another. Mm -hmm. I also just launched a podcast, which you are a guest on. Um, mm -hmm. uh, thank you for that, called Change Making Connections, which uh, is an opportunity to talk with other change agents from a variety, variety of different fields about the joys and challenges of working towards mm -hmm. social change. Um, and I'm an author, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. <laughs> and a speaker. Um, I do a lot of speaking around why and how we should integrate my mindfulness and embodiment in our work, uh, anti-oppression pedagogy and learnings. So mm -hmm. I'll pause there, but I'm really looking forward yeah. to talking with you about this. Well, and I will say I've had a I had an opportunity to, to sit in on one of your workshops that you did. Um, the nice thing about COVID and doing all of this is you were here doing it in mm. California and I was able to join. <laughs> and so I got to sit on a workshop and it's you're, you're really great at how you do that and bringing mm. content and the process. And I think we're going to get a sense of that here. So let's just at the most basics. I know that we'll get into all the details of all the things you've mm -hmm. added since the first iteration. But let's just talk about this big idea at the most macro level. Why integrate mindfulness into anti-oppression pedagogy and how? So the why yeah. and the how. 
Yeah, thank you for that. Let me first say that uh, I am a faculty member, so a lot of my work um, comes out of my experiences in the classroom, but Gender and Women's Studies has always worked very closely with our partners in student affairs. We have, we are one of the disciplines that has always understood the holistic student and that the classroom always works in tandem with advising, with, with um, student programming, with um, identity centers, with athletics, with the counseling center. Um, and so I highly value all that work. And I do think some of the ideas I've offered, um, even if they are sometimes situated in the classroom, uh, are directly applicable. So let me start yeah, there. I, I'll just say, I really found that one as I was reading through it, that there was sort of framed for the classroom, but really relevant. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to make any translations. It's just like, yeah, this is how we would do this in student fairs. Oh, good. In workshops and meetings and conversations and one-on-ones and yeah. retreats and so many different aspects. Yeah. Perfect. So with that foundation, um, you know, I've been doing social justice teaching around anti-oppression and more liberatory um, co-creation of social justice for many, many years. And I began to find that that the there were deeper levels of our being that more traditional teachings about that content was not adequately reaching. Um, embodied reactions, emotional or gut reactions, learned messages um, that are so deeply ingrained that they're often below our consciousness level. Um, and it looks very different for people who are marginalized than for people who are socialized into the more dominant group. And yet many of us hold both of those identity positions. And so I found that mindfulness was my path into exploring how do we hold social justice principles at the various levels of our beings? How do we align with kind of heart-centered ways of being in the world? How do we connect with our values, what we care about, and then learn how to enact that, like bring our values in alignment with how we show up. And in order to do that, um, we need to dismantle and unlearn some of the, the ways of being and messages from uh, an oppressive society that bring us out of alignment, number one. If we're regularly targeted by oppression, then we probably have a lot of trauma to heal individually, collectively, intergenerationally. And that is always in our classroom, whether we name it or not, mm -hmm. or in our programs, our college mm -hmm. campuses, whether we name it or not. We need to develop the self-awareness to understand what is happening for us in any given moment. Um, what are the learned messages and do we want to embody that or not? Like create that pause where we can really reflect. And we need the compassion to understand that everybody else in our community is also struggling with a, a, a process. It may be a different process than our own, right? Um, and then we need to tap into radical imagination to imagine a better world. And mm -hmm. for me, mindfulness and various embodied practices are really beautiful complements with social justice. As long as they are in partnership together, and we can talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit later, um, it allowed me to, to deepen my pedagogy around those issues and offer students a wider range of, of tools in their tool belt, so to speak, yeah. to build their capacity. Well, I, I want to sort of veer off the questions that we, because I'm, I'm yeah. super curious, because I, I, I guess I'm hearing sort of there's a, a more traditional neck up mm -hmm. intellectual frames, models, critical analysis, right? Mm -hmm. And we're keeping all of that and adding into that embodied emotion, mm -hmm. all of these other things. Um, when you started to bring some of that in, what did you see shift in the students? Mm. When you went from a more intellectual, conceptual way of talking about justice and equity and liberation to mm -hmm. also an embodied emotion, recognition, yeah. what did you see shift in the students? Mm -hmm. On some level, gender and women's studies has always been more than kind of the rational head up kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think my my um, foray into mindfulness and embodied work deepened that approach and also offered me different ways of offering students paths to address it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, for instance, I've seen students develop deeper self-awareness, much um, 
more compassion for themselves. We, in the book, I talk about conditioned tendencies, for instance, which comes out of the Strozzi Institute and generative somatics traditions of, som of somatics. And it's this oh, idea- Oh, that's that a lot. Unpack a little bit of that. Yes, that's sorry. a lot of terms people might not be familiar with. I know, with. I know, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, so I, it's important to me to give credit to where I learned things. Um, and so one of the traditions of somatics that I studied was from the Strozzi Institute and generative somatics. They're kind of partnered in different ways. I go into that in the book. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I learned from them that really resonated in my heart and I've found really resonates for students is this idea of conditioned tendencies. And the way they talk about that, as I have learned it, is that society shapes us. We learn different ways of being in the society based on our lived experiences, which social justice teaches us is shaped by, you know, racial power dynamics, gendered power dynamics, sexual power dynamic, all of those things, right? And so we learn those shapes and we do what we do to take care of ourselves and try to protect um, what, what this tradition of somatics calls safety, dignity, and belonging that whatever we do is designed to protect our own safety, dignity, and belonging. Those are all like human needs that we all need. And we learn certain ways of showing up in whatever experiences we are in to protect those things. Um, and what I need to do to protect that for me is different than what you will likely need to do to protect that from you, but we learn them as habits. At some point, we may find that those habits don't serve us anymore, mm -hmm. yep. that we outgrow them. We maybe don't need them in every situation. Maybe they're driving us rather than being able to intentionally choose, okay, in this situation, I need it. In this other mm -hmm. situation, I don't. Maybe they do on some level take care of us, but they're not allowing a kind of expression that we really long for. And so we might want different ways of showing up. Um, but the piece that really like resonated so deeply in my heart and really helped me heal, and I've seen it land for students since I've started sharing it with them, mm -hmm. is that we come by those tendencies honestly, as mm -hmm. generative somatic says, that those things, those patterns were there to take care of us. Mm -hmm. And so we don't need to demonize them. We don't need to, to like, turn on ourselves and be super judgmental about that tendency because we did what we could with the capacity we had, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a compassionate level that comes and an understanding that says, whew, um, maybe I don't necessarily want to embody that now, but boy, thank you for taking care of me when, as you could, right. when you could, right? right? And now maybe I want different choices, or maybe I still wanna be able to use that when I need it, but in other moments, maybe not. And so the combination of deep compassion for oneself and an understanding of how power dynamics and socialization has led to particular mm -hmm. habits, mm -hmm. but then open also opening possibilities for different ways of showing up. I found that piece to be really resonant for students in recent years, the, the piece of compassion has been really helpful because they can often get so down on themselves, particularly, I work a lot with students who really care about social justice, right? Sure. So um, then they get, they berate themselves when, you know, they undermine themselves or they don't show up the way they want to. And so giving them this way of framing, um, that is one way that some of this has been helpful for them. That's that's so powerful. I, I'm connecting that with internal family systems, IFS mm. therapy, that talks about sort of the the inner critic or the saboteur yeah. or whatever is usually this voice that kept us safe as children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by being invisible or being small, yeah. we avoided abuse or different things. And then you have grownups who are 50 years old still doing that thing. And to have compassion, thank you for keeping me safe. And that that thing is no longer here. I want to engage with more vulnerability or I want to open myself up to this or play bigger um, is really important. And I, and I love this part about um, the compassion because I've interacted with a lot of students who had a marginalized or minoritized identity and then felt talking about justice, justice and equity broadly was really threatening because I should know better. Mm. Right? The privileged folks like me 
uh, of course you wouldn't know. And 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 you kind of get escape, right? But if I'm gay and I don't know about all these things, then that's a betrayal of my identity and mm -hmm. having to know all of these things and not just about my identity, but other identities. And so then they shut down or withdraw, sometimes from sort of a self-righteous, like this class isn't for me, it's for y'all. And I'm mm -hmm. disengaging. And I think that compassion and then having those folks come back and say what was really going on there was, mm -hmm. I was so scared of messing up because how could I, with all I've experienced, not know about anti-Semitism or not know about mm -hmm. ableism or this other thing? And we all have so much to learn. And I think bringing that compassion, I think opens up the possibility to, we don't know everything. We're all learners. Mm -hmm. We're gonna mess up. And that's a part of the process and learning and growing from that, I think can be, can be really great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the self-awareness too, to notice like, not just I'm uncomfortable, but oh, what that is, is yes. I'm afraid of this. Or uh, when that language has been used in the past, it has led to this. Also, yeah. that's what's going on for me. And I think sometimes we get, um, particularly now, we use anxiety as this overgeneralized experience. I'm mm -hmm. feeling anxious. Mm. Well, what flavor of anxious are you? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm mm -hmm. afraid. Yeah. Or I'm worried or I'm just uneased, right? Those are really mm -hmm. different things. And you're mm -hmm. talking about getting at the emotions in the body to really tap into some of that. Yeah, I find um, one of the questions I like to ask is, how do you know that's what you're feeling? Mm. Right. So like if someone says, I'm sad, I'm anxious, I'm okay. What are the cues that are telling you that? Mm. And um, to, to deepen and nuance, mm -hmm. um, that would be one thing. And then the other thing that was arising for me as you were talking, it, it was, I was reminded of a conversation we just had yesterday in, in my feminist leadership class um, about sustainability. And mm. um, yeah. one of the things I find with um I, I teach a lot of traditionally aged college students. I also work with, you know, working professionals and nonprofits and that sort of thing. But since we're talking about student affairs right now, I teach a lot of traditionally aged college students who right around this time of the semester are, are like running on empty um, and they're going full speed and they're exhausted and you can feel the level of energy like down in the room at the same time a similar pattern happens with, I find developmentally with students who are really excited about social justice, care about it and go all in on every crisis. And so I regularly have conversations with them about sustainability and what, uh, how you show up for things you really care about with integrity while also pacing yourself and mm -hmm. understanding that um, at least for me, when I go all in and I still show up when I'm exhausted, I tend to be a lot less skillful. Um, right. That doesn't mean that there aren't with times and places. With yourself and others. With right? myself and others, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, and you know, there are times and places when we still need to show up. Like it's a privilege to step back. But when you're, when you're building a community of people who are doing this work, one of the things I've really appreciated and continually exposed students to and have drawn much more heavily on in this version of the book than I did in the first book is popular, more public activist efforts that are doing really important work in social justice realms and having conversations about sustainability or mindfulness mm -hmm. or embodied well-being, um, mm -hmm. that the two can go together. And in fact, you can be much more skillful all the way around with yourself and others right. when you do that. Um, and so, you know, and again, exposing students to that way of embracing their life and their work, which I see as a really important life skill, not just yeah. college skill. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm here. I don't think we've said it, but I'm hearing a lot of both and. Yes. Right. It is the collective and the individual experience. It is our socialization and it is our mm -hmm. agency. It is mm -hmm. compassion. And do we want to choose it? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of both and here and we can be engaged and that's great. And we can find I'm going to let this one go and focus on other things. And um, yeah, uh, you you talked a you, you talked a little bit about things that have shifted yeah. <laughs> as we, we mentioned as we were getting started. Uh, you published the first version eight years ago in 2015. Mm -hmm. 
which by the clock of the world is about 30 years ago. Oh my gosh, it seems so long ago. <laughs> I know. So what has, how has your thinking shifted? I mean, I'll say the, the new version uh, is a full revision. It is not yes. a few edits here and there. It is a full and complete revision. The, the basics are still there and a lot more has been added due to your learning, your experience, your teaching. Um, so share with folks a little bit about how you're thinking your approach has shifted and, mm -hmm. and what you're really focusing on now that maybe you weren't even aware of. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for saying that. It is a radical rewrite. Um, as you said, the basic principles are there, but I've deepened a lot of it because my thinking has changed a lot. So many people are doing this work now and either they weren't then or I didn't know about it then. So that has been really um, lovely and supportive and helpful. Some of the things that have shifted um, in the first edition, I contextualized the work within feminist, critical race, uh, and critical pedagogies. That remains the same, but this one also draws on decolonizing and re-indigenizing pedagogies, abolitionist pedagogy, pedagogies, uh, trauma-informed pedagogies, um, and something else I'm probably blanking on right now. Um, I am, um, I, I spend more time talking about the trauma of oppression itself um, mm -hmm. and how that is always in our classrooms and how mindfulness and embodied practices can, uh, if done skillfully, right. support that, mm -hmm. but how to, how and why we need to be aware of the trauma in our spaces, if and when to bring in the mindfulness practices, because embodiedness you you tap into your experience in a different way. And for someone who is experiencing active trauma or trauma resonances, they need to be supported in a particular way. Um, speaking of that, in, a, I've, in addition to mindfulness, I now use somatics as well. And somatics, I understand to be a whole body system of transformation. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness and somatics are often paired, but somatics is kind of a bigger umbrella than mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, so I use both of them. One of the things I'm really excited about is the chapter on transformation um, that's new in this book. And I've been increasingly exploring, well, how do we transform on an individual level, on a collective level, on a societal level? What does that look like? And how can mindfulness and embodied practices help us move through the rockiness that is inevitable in mm -hmm. a transformation process? And for those of us who've been doing this work for a long time, we often see students move through similar patterns, but for them, it's often the first time. Right. Um, mm. And even for us who've been doing it for a while, if we think about any like looming big transformation in our life, we may be awfully unsettled. And so how can mm. embodiment and mindfulness support us in that when informed with social justice? Um, and then I end with um, co-creating liberation. So how creativity radical imagination is a part of this work because we're not just anti-something, we are in favor of something, right? So what is it we wanna co-create? Um, and as I said, this work is much more situated in work in the public realm. It still draws mm -hmm. on academic theory, but it's much more in the public realm. And I do touch a little bit on um, online formats for mindfulness mm -hmm. because we are all much more online than we used to be. Yeah. Well, and I've seen, as I mentioned, I've seen you do that. I've seen you lead mm. embodied activity from our little mm -hmm. Zoom boxes and people doing yes. that on their own and uh, also doing it when people are in a room together. And those are different mm -hmm. things with different mm -hmm. considerations, right? There's some, yeah. you know, if you're alone in a room by yourself, there can be some ways that you might engage that maybe you wouldn't be willing to do mm -hmm. in a room with others. And it also can feel a little distant and disconnected. Yeah. And you mentioned some of the things that you're bringing in. And I found uh, you're not just mentioning some of those things you're <laughs> to which maybe you regret because it was probably a lot of work a, a really yeah. deep dive on some of these different aspects not just mentioning abolitionist education but really exploring it in some detail uh and bringing some of that in um it had me thinking a lot about um working with students and their process and helping them be more aware of what is going on, not just intellectually, but in their bodies and their emotions to help them better navigate it. It also had me thinking about my own things. As, and as you mentioned, those of us who've been doing this for a while, we maybe have been through some of this, but then we also are confronted with the things that we've been resisting for 
decades, <laughs> right? And uh, I, I, I'm willing to go here, here, and here, but not there. I'm just not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think the uh, the compassion with which which you both suggest and model in the book, mm-hmm. um, it left me feeling a little bit more courageous to go into some of the places where maybe I am hesitant to go or will only go in certain situations in certain ways, not just for um, for the work or to teach others, but uh, for our own liberation, right? And mm-hmm. you mentioned this, not, not just an anti-oppression, but also what does liberation look like? We need both of those. We need to understand what's not working. And what do we want to create? What would joy look like? What would liberation look like? What would freedom? What would, um, and and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about radical imagination, because I'm just so excited about those two words together. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, thank you for saying and sharing some of your reactions yeah. to how the book landed. That's heart. That's very um, empowering for me. So thank you. Um, yeah, I, f- I have found myself in recent years much less fed by anti-anything. Um, mm-hmm. I think that anti-oppression, anti-racism, um, all of the antis are critical steps in dismantling. Um, yes. no. But for my soma, I also need, but for my being, my holistic my ability to keep coming to this work skillfully and with creativity and care. I need the what's possible. Um, And for me, um, radical imagination is a place where some of that lands. And and it comes out of, it's particularly inspired recently by emergent strategy, which I bring up in every conversation because everybody, (laughs) it's such a hot book, but also it it fed my soul when I read it um, and mm-hmm. in all the work and all the people who are enacting emergent strategy in a variety of different ways right now, I think they are practicing radical imagination and mm-hmm. like what becomes possible when we, when we show up for each other and imagine different ways of being. Um, if we need to move away from mass agriculture, what's possible in our local community, right? What's already happening? Um, How does art play into this and help us tap into a different side, a different way of our being? And I, I think that one of the things my trauma studies have taught me is that when we are in the throes of trauma or trauma responses and oppression creates a huge amount of trauma, it's very hard to access that creativity. Um, because we're in survival mode, right? And so we do absolutely need to change the things and do the healing support that moves people and communities out of trauma support um, and support the creativity that has always been happening even amidst Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, And so um, one of the things that's led me to do more often in my classes is to bring in artistic practices to have days off, so to speak, mm-hmm. where we're not trying to cover particular content necessarily, but that they get a moment to connect with each other and create. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of read the room and figure out where people's energy levels are. Um, I assign them current material that people, where people are doing this kind of creativity work to show and inspire and catalyze that, that this is part of social justice work. Um, Mm -hmm. And so radical imagination is kind of exploring what's possible and thinking outside the box, which gender and women's studies, ethnic studies has always done, right? Mm -hmm. But with with the embodiment piece, you also get, um, I think you get this different layer of, what is it that you're really deeply longing for? not just in your head, but like, if you follow this gut, what are you longing for? What's it gonna orient you to? Like a sunflower orients to the sun, mm-hmm. right? And then from that place, what what emerges? What do you wanna create? Cause the world probably mm-hmm. needs it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wrote down uh, in the first part of this conversation that what you were talking about, about not just the neck up, but the embodied and the emotional um, and the compassion. I feel like that's what people are yearning for, mm. uh, desperate for, eager for, right? I want to connect with that in me. I want to connect with that in you. Um, 
And then I get pulled into self-righteousness on social media and binaries of you either support the Palestinians or the Israelis and you can't be heartbroken for all the monstrosities happening and all the hurt and pain or it's this or that, it's one or the other mm-hmm. and these both ands coming in. Um, but then also this radical imagination, I think about that in terms of what would society look like if we didn't socialize people into blah, 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 blah. And you know that list is endless. And that's a super exciting thought experiment um but it's a little out of reach directly but then i can think about what about how i raise my daughter what could that relationship look like if we deconstructed some gender nonsense mm-hmm. right what would that yeah. look like what what kind of liberation might we as two white people get by unpacking our racist socialization mm-hmm. well that's that's juicy that's interesting right so thinking about it um from the micro to the macro and then everything in between yeah. like like your classroom like this podcast like this workshop that we're leading um, mm-hmm. i think there's the the both and both end of all of that mm-hmm. anything else that you really have brought in to this new edition that you really want to speak to and then we can move to some of the cautions you want to offer mm. I think the, just the the reflective piece on what transformation looks like and what are some of the things that can derail transformation. Mm. Uh, And then how do we integrate our embodiment alongside social justice in a way that helps us move through that dissonance instead of kind of scrambling back for what's familiar, safe, but but limiting uh, in terms of or pretending work. that dissonance isn't even there. Right. Or right. pretending it's not it, even there. Pushing, yeah. it, pushing it down. Right. But really, right. I love that language. Yeah. Working through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you do offer um, in a particular chapter, but also throughout the mm-hmm. book. Um, let's be careful. Yeah. Uh, let's be cautious about this. Um, if you're going to use this, just be aware. This doesn't always go well and be thoughtful about this. And not only are you um, offering cautions, but really helpful strategies. You might then consider this and then you might then consider this. So this is a very, it's very theoretical and it's very practical at the same time from what is abolitionist education to here's how to do an embodied activity if you're concerned about this Mm -hmm. and be careful about this and try and avoid this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so share with us some of the cautions you have around mindfulness and equity and justice work. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that question. It's so important. Um, one is it's not a silver bullet. It doesn't fix everything. Um, and one should always, even the language of fix, I, my body just mm-hmm. bristled at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a possible approach. It is not the only approach and it has its own possible pitfalls or limitations. So that's the first thing I would say. One possible pitfall or limitation is the issue of cultural appropriation, which I think is as a white uh, person centered in the US is something I need to critically reflect on all the time. My entry into mindfulness was through meditation and yoga. And um, I have a lot of experience in the yoga world, a lot of training in the yoga world and there's a lot of things that the U.S. mainstream yoga world does that's problematic and appropriative. And so um, there are ways to engage mindfulness approaches that are not appropriative or less appropriative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I should say that it's easier for me in a gender and women's studies classroom because cultural appropriation is right along the lines of what we need to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas if mm-hmm. you're doing it in a uh, area where you have other content in your program that needs to be covered or something that it may be less um, relevant. But I think the conversations around how do we do this ethically and responsibly if it is not from our own cultural tradition are really important. Mm-hmm. And one way of addressing some of that is helping students trace out what would mindfulness, what would be an, a mindfulness type practice from your own cultural location. Right? Mm-hmm. And that can be mm-hmm. deeply healing for people, mm-hmm. can also be fraught with grief, depending on one's relationship mm-hmm. to one's cultural location. Mm-hmm. So or that's internalized one thing. dominance, something about or internalized, internalized dominance. dominance yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I think the flip side of trying to avoid the cultural appropriation by detaching it and making it fully secular, if you're drawing on practices that are actually from spiritual traditions, mm -hmm. that is that can also be problematic because mm -hmm. while it is in some ways safer to bring secular practices into a public university than something that has the spiritual roots, it's also problematic to sever it from its context, right? right. So there's that piece. I think being aware that when you ask people to sink into their embodied experience, lots of things can arise that people who aren't trained to handle it may be unprepared for. And there are, I think, ethical responsibilities to support students. Mm -hmm. um, gender and women's studies, again, is somewhat unique because we've always addressed trauma in our classrooms. Mm -hmm. You know, I teach around sexual assault, I teach around eating disorders, and I'm always aware that there are people in, in the room who will have experienced that. And so I've always, you know, unlike maybe some other disciplines, I've always been attuned to how do you care for yourself and learn about this, but also know the off-ramps that you may need. And how mm -hmm. do I make sure to tech, connect those students to other campus support services as they need it? Mm -hmm. I think mindfulness and embodied practices um, can bring people closer to that those, um, those experiences because being in your head kind of can avoid some of it. Yeah. Um, and so I give a lot of techniques in the books that to come from a trauma-centered or a healing-centered uh, approach so that you can scaffold the practices, for instance, or offer students a kind of safer, potentially safer approach, and then mm -hmm. go deeper if they wish it, but not right. having right. to do it. There are other examples like that. Right. Um, I think one of the other pressures is, um, you know, how is this related to course content? We need to study for a test or we have to mm -hmm. practice for an athletic meet. Why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. And one of the um, one of the ways that I found to always address that is explain the why, take it to the meta level, always explain the why. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes a little more evident to students over time, how it can be supportive. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you mentioned um, going into the body can be a really powerful tool and for some folks going into the body is not a safe comfortable right. place and so you you talk a lot about consent mm -hmm. um not just in terms of sexual violence but consent in <laughs> close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing so right yeah um if not you might try this right and you talk mm -hmm. a lot about consent you talk about a lot about permission and you talk a lot about many multiple pathways uh, yes. So we're going to do this. And if you're comfortable doing that, great. And if you're not, you might try this or you might try this or you might offer mm -hmm. this. And really offering, I think, those multiple pathways. It brought me to a lot of uh, universal design, right? Mm. Which is, you know, here's the thing we hope to accomplish. And what are the many different pathways we can get there? Because if you can't do this or don't have access to this or limited in these ways or the, your home doesn't offer this, then there's so many different pathways. And sort of saying to an individual, uh, I want you to be able to connect to this experience mm -hmm. and if this isn't a way you feel comfortable doing this here are some other ways and if this isn't a way that you feel safe doing this here are some other ways um, and you offer a lot of specific examples about i think you just talked about multiple pathways or multiple on-ramps or offers yeah. mm -hmm. right because there's a difference between uh unmindfully disengaging which I right. do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I just don't want to be here. This is stressful. I'm out. Um, and then there's, okay, that's too much for me right now. I'm going to consciously choose to slightly disengage or disconnect in this way and maybe come back to it another time or meet with you one-on-one -on -one or take some time to journal and reflect uh, along the way. Which itself is a self-awareness and life skill, yeah. right? Like, so for me, a student saying, "I that is not good for me right now, I'm gonna just sit here and journal is a win, right? Because they Which may I not- Which I think a lot of teachers feel is resistance and something they have to- Not necessarily, right. right? Not right. necessarily. I mean, maybe, but also resistance is there for a reason and as much as an, as a social justice person, as much as I want to be like, no, we need to work on justice right now. So right. sorry, you're not ready to examine your privilege, right? There's a part of me that wants to do that. 
there's another part of me that says people will do this in their own time. And yeah. again, it's a both and. Um, it's an unpeeling of a layer and they may not be able to go to level layer seven right now, but they may be able to go to layer two. Yeah. And that, so that's one thing. But then the other thing is being a, being aware enough to say, I could have done that yesterday, but I'm not, I don't have the capacity to do that today yeah. is a lot more than some students have been able, were able to say before they started examining mindfulness, because so much of, so much of our society, and, and this is, depends on our cultural location, but there's so much disembodiment that comes partly with supremacy culture yeah. um, that even when we're not part of the dominant group, we may have been severed from our embodiment, that yeah. being able to say what you have capacity for or don't have capacity for and the agency to choose that mm -hmm. is, I think, a huge advancement more important than any particular than that they engage any particular meditation or journal activity right because that can come into a conflict with a loved one that can come mm -hmm. into a particular work project that can come into uh, this tv show is focused on this and i've just i can't deal with that today yeah and absolutely. so this is not relaxing for me this is not renewal for me this is um and so to notice that and tap into that and name that and ask for that mm -hmm. i think it'd be really great you mentioned sort of when you get tempted to do, no, 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 we're going to do this because we have to, we have to. I, I noticed that that when I fall into that place, um, I'm focused on me going mm. where I want to go, not the learners. Yeah. And not yep. their growth, learning and change. I'm focused on what am I doing? What do I get to claim later? <laughs> yeah. and, and we see so much of that on social media and these little clickbait kinds of things or look what I did or, um, mm -hmm. and I think uh, when you were talking about getting connected with her body and being aware of that, um, I just don't know where that really is being modeled for folks mm -hmm. in a yeah. pervasive way in our society and culture. Maybe folks are getting it in little places here and there, but um, I'm imagining being in your class and being told to tap into my body and that that's okay and it has wisdom mm -hmm. as such a radical uh, offering mm. yeah i won't you know i'm not gonna lie some students still look at me like wow you're a big weirdo i mean like that <laughs> what is this <laughs> um and so that's one thing i would say to anybody who hasn't been doing this work and who wants to try it be prepared for those yeah. looks um, because it's countercultural in a lot of higher yeah. ed uh, and in a lot of places in general. Right. So explaining the why, I go through several um, uh, uh, suggestions about how to ease people in. Sometimes I start with mm -hmm. the stress relief piece, even though that's mm -hmm. not why I do the mindfulness piece, but um, I make sure to let them know it might help them around things like midterms, even though I'm mm -hmm. doing it for a much deeper reason. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, some students will never tap into it um, yeah. and it will never speak to them. And that's OK. Part of what I'm trying to do is plant the seed that there is something more out there and they can listen to what's calling them mm -hmm. when they're when mm -hmm. they need it, when they want it. Um, and then the other piece is the flip side of that is that sometimes halfway through the semester students are begging for it um yeah. like, can we meditate today can we're we so stressed yeah <laughs> can we just do that breathing thing yeah can yeah. we have an art day um yeah. and the fact that they feel agency to ask that or that yeah. i i see the shift from when they looked at me weird to when they're asking for it yeah. right and then i remind them they don't need me to create that space right. and we talk about like how might they in their very busy college lives integrated into what they're already doing instead of making it an add-on mm -hmm. there's sort of some themes i i see um in the book around awareness about what is going on out there mm -hmm. right systems and structures and power and isms and what's going on in here and that's how it's showing mm -hmm. up for me and oh my gosh that thing that i keep doing that i never understood is really about my response to that so so the awareness mm -hmm. of out there and in here and then this pause mm -hmm. This yeah. pause of a breath, this pause of inquiry, this pause of where do you feel the sadness in your body? Yeah. Um, as opening up a lot of spaciousness. And then the next part is this, I'll, I'll use the word agency. We talk a lot about choice. 
the radical reimagining is a part of that. Like, mm -hmm. okay, so I've been through some things. These things are showing up in me. What would that look like differently? Or what could that mm -hmm. be? Or what choice do I want to make differently? Or, um, yeah. And that, yeah. that seems to be where the somatics come in. That's where the mindfulness comes in and connects to all these bigger learnings. And, and not only helps us learn ideas and concepts, but helps us develop some skills and competencies that certainly can help with equity and justice yeah. and that kind of transformation, but also just navigating <laughs> the complexities of life and relationships and conflicts and, mm -hmm. and hard things all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. I think I really see both social justice and embodiment by which I mean both mindfulness and somatics to be mm -hmm. important life and community skills. And I guess the other thing I would say that I insist upon in both books is that I really think that for them to be an effective partnership, we really do need both politicized mindfulness or somatics. Um, there's a lot of mindfulness and somatics out there that reproduce harm. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's not the type I'm talking about. And I critique that regularly. Um, and there's some social justice work that is, you know, while it's really important, it also produces burnout culture and extractive social justice. And a lot of, a lot of on the ground activists are talking about that right now. And so the, the partnership of them together is really important. Um, and for people who haven't, aren't familiar with my book, they may not understand that I do have critiques of both and that yeah. there's a, there's a nuanced way that they partner, I think. Yeah. Well, you do, you point out a lot of these critiques in the book and I, what I love is that you point them out and then you don't just stop there. So there mm. is this thing that I'm suggesting, recommending, I think is really powerful and here's a critique of it and here's how we explore it and take it seriously. And so then we should consider these things as we, we move mm -hmm. into this, right? So mm -hmm. it's not just, well, this is a thing and then someone critiqued it and so we shouldn't do that. Right? right. But how do we engage the critique thoughtfully and intentionally and bring that in and factor that in? And again, as as you were just pointing to, just more both and. Uh, yes. 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 And yes. And um, we are running out of time. Oh, so I can talk with go. you forever. I know. I feel like we just started, but the clock says otherwise. Yes. Uh, so we want to end with our question. This podcast is called Student Affairs Now. We want to ask you what you are thinking, troubling, or pondering now might be related mm. to this. We have talked about the old book because it's what we have in our hands. Yes. And at this moment <laughs> in time, we're having the conversation. The new book is not in even in your hands. By the time this podcast is released, the, the new version is out. It is available. You can get it. You can go find it. Um, you will be able to access it readily. Uh, but other than go out and buy the book, which we'll include in the show notes, what are you thinking, Thank troubling, you. and pondering now? Yeah. And where might folks who want to connect with you be able to do that? Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for the shout out. The new book is coming out in hard, you know, like be able to tangibly hold it soon. Um, you can find me on my website, bethbarilla.com. Um, there are multiple, my social media links are on there. My email is on there. Um, love to connect with people about that. Um, what I'm pondering right now, uh, a lot of radical imagination in terms of what, what possibilities can we create and where, where am I called to do that? Where are my students called to do that? That's one thing. Right now, I'm really, really sinking into it's winter where we are, uh, or mm -hmm. just merging into winter, which mm -hmm. can be a very challenging time for me personally. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm really sinking into what is what is seasonal living look like right now? And how mm -hmm. do I how do I live and create social justice from this alignment with nature and the insights. So it's very a la mm -hmm. emergent strategy, a la regenerative yeah. leadership, but also just like, what is my soma need and how I show up? And one of the things I've noticed, um, and I think all of you student affairs people out there mm -hmm. will resonate with some of this, that academic culture runs directly counter to nature seasons, at mm -hmm. least at this stage, right? So winter, at least in the Northern hemisphere is like, let's sink in, let's slow down. Let's reflect, um, let's renew and restore so we can come back vibrant in the spring. Mm -hmm. And yet right now, everybody's running at their biggest pace right now. Um, students are, many faculty are, some, some student affairs are. Um, sure. there'll be a there'll be a gap when when things are on break. Even people who have 12 month contracts, you know, have a little bit more spaciousness typically. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but still that's that something with other racing. 
right? Yes. Then it gets filled with other. So part of me is like, all of that is so capitalist and supremacist Mm -hmm. (laughs) that even higher ed is aligning with it, right? So Mm -hmm. how can we do what we need to do, but but also give our beings what we need, what each other's need? I'm reflecting on that right now. Yeah, well, I'm going to mention the book Wintering by Catherine. Yes, May, I love that book. Which is a wonderful sort of indulgence into not fighting winter, but embracing yeah. it, embracing the cold, embracing the darkness, embracing what it offers mm-hmm. for that renewal. Um, yes, I love that. And it's a lovely, it's lovely with a warm cup of tea. It just feels like absolutely that, that coziness. Absolutely. And, and since we both live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we have to embrace winter because it's like yes. six months out of the year. So <laughs> yes, we have is. to really embrace it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Beth. This has been terrific. We could go on and on and maybe we will, but I really appreciate, uh, I, I love your first version of the book from 2015. I do. I recommend it all the time. Thank and I'm you. so excited for this new version. It is full of new things. So if you're a fan of the first version, this will be great. You'll learn so much more. I learned so much and reading through it. And if you haven't got the first version, this is your chance to get it. So much to learn around uh, pedagogy, around justice and equity, around mindfulness, around somatics. Uh, and you're just a wonderful teacher. And I think you offer so much um, that is so helpful for others. So thank you. Thanks for being thank here. You. Thank you so much. Yeah. Of course. Thanks for the opportunity and the high praise. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Beth, and thanks to our sponsor of today's episode, Simplicity. Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit simplicity.com or visit them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Huge shout out, as always, to our producer, Nat Ambrosi, who does all the work behind the scenes to make us look and sound good. We love your support for these important conversations. You can help us reach even more folks by subscribing. Subscribe to the podcast, our YouTube channel, or our weekly newsletter, which announces each new episode and more. You can also leave us a five-star review. These little things, make sure you don't miss anything and help make sure these conversations reach our larger, larger audience. Thank you, Beth, for being here. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to Beth and to everyone who's watching and listening. Make it a great week. Thank you.